the stepping point is never look at what anyone else is doing. Never look external first. It goes back to the three fundamental questions you need to ask if you're in the seat. What is the impact of this business? Where are we bad? Where are we harming the environment? What is totally unsustainable? The second question is, what are our biggest opportunities? If you're a company that makes something and you've never focused on waste, you're going to have a massive financial and environmental opportunity associated with reducing waste. And then the third thing is, what is the ambition level of our company? Welcome back, everybody. Rich Baker, founder of Collective Responsibility, here today with another episode of the Sustainable Ambassadors podcast. Through this episode, I'm joined by the amazing Aaron Mizan, CSO of Interface. If you know sustainability, you know that Interface has been a big player for a long time. Obviously, we're going to be talking a little bit about Interface's journey, but this is really about her and her role as a CSO at Interface, where she moved it from take, make, waste, climb mount sustainability, as now moving it towards its next mission. So thank you very much, Aaron, for joining us. It really is a pleasure to have you with us. It's so good to see you again, Rich. Thanks for having me. My name is Aaron Mizan. I'm the Chief Sustainability Officer for Interface, billion-dollar American company that makes flooring. Carpet tile, rubber, resilient, largely going into the commercial space, but we do have a residential business called Floor as well. Two really exciting, interesting things about the company. It's about to hit its 50th year of life. And then halfway through Interface's life, the other really interesting thing happened, which is that the founder started to have a deep focus on sustainability and sought to really redesign and transform Interface's products and supply chain to be more sustainable. Can you talk a little bit about just the early days? Were you kind of the only person who cared about sustainability and and (laughs) Ray said, hey, I need your help. How did you fit into that story at the time? So I joined a small global team as a research analyst, and I did a lot of the reporting and data work that everybody does, which feels thankless when you're a research analyst, but it's basically the underpinning of everything. So I worked on our greenhouse gas inventory and really built that up. But the other important thing was that we were the translators of what this meant to the rest of the business. So we were talking to our colleagues in sales about how to use this to sell. And how to explain to customers why becoming more sustainable should matter to them. I think a big part of that job, even at a junior level, is trying to tell people why this is important and why we're doing what we're doing. What was your progression within the organization, say, from you know, over the next few years from there? And then how did you end up you know, reaching the CSO position? Four years into my job, I was promoted to be a vice president. And then I think another four or five years later, I was named our CSO. And I think, you know, the the basic job progression is you've got to understand two things about your business to advance and to drive sustainability. The first is what are our impacts and what are our opportunities to change? And those opportunities are not just the actual thing itself, like being more energy efficient or buying renewable energy. They're also then, if you're a maker of stuff, how do we capitalize on that in the market? What are the areas of the business that you had to learn really helped you understand (laughs) how to be better at identifying the opportunities? Does that mean that you spent time on the factory floor and in distribution centers and on sites for for installation? Like, did you have to know that whole process or could you learn this from behind a computer screen? No, I mean, I did a mill tour my first week. And I think anyone who works for a company who either sells a product or makes a service 
the first thing you need to do is understand your business, but you're absolutely right that there are certain things that are more important than others. So installation may be for me less important, but understanding the process of making the product really important. Seeing carpet tiles being made brings to life some of the data which I have, which is how much energy do we use in each particular step? What's yeah. the environmental implication of those raw materials? So it really helps you complete the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And I think be a much more effective advocate. We don't want to talk from a data perspective. Mm -hmm. We want to talk from a, let's focus on these three processes where we use the most water. Mm -hmm. So I think like that was really critical to understanding where are opportunities to make change. You mentioned that priorities, you you have to kind of find them and they might shift around a bit. Did understanding how carpet goes to die become important for a period of time? And then once yeah. that process was there, you're like, okay, next. Even before I came to interface, you know, when they started to look at the processes from the perspective of what's the environmental implication of each of these manufacturing steps, it became really clear that the really energy and really water intensive places were where we had to start first. It, we either had to re-engineer, engineer them out or make a different decision. And so you look at what's most material, what are the biggest impacts first? So then we started to dig deeper, much deeper about, well, the very choice of materials themselves, right? Is something we wanna do. Um, removing adhesives on installation is something we wanna do. So I think you kind of solve those problems <laughs> and then you kind of dive into the next. How much technical knowledge do you need? Your job yes. shouldn't be fixing and tightening all no. the screws on the actual machine, right? But it sounds like you could do that if you wanted to. So you have to have enough knowledge, I think, to be able to explain it to someone else. That's a that's sort of a great proxy for me, which is I don't want to rely on someone saying, trust me, this process is going to be great. That's never going to be enough for me to explain it to someone else. So I want to know just enough to explain it to someone else, but not enough knowledge to go actually in and change the machine settings myself. I imagine that you had a lot of internal barriers to adoption. Can you maybe give a, a flavor of that? And then what was yeah. your role to you know, shepherd this process. So I think a big part of it is whether it's me, whether it's an outside expert, it's continuing to grow the education and access to information of our employees so that they can understand how sustainability fits. We have a course we call Carbon 101 that everyone in the company takes, and it's a basic understanding of the science but yeah. then also why carbon neutral products matter, how making a carbon neutral product for interface fits into the fact that 45% of global emissions come from building construction and operation yeah. and why that matters to global climate change. And I think the big takeaway is you have to have a bunch of different strategies. It has to be ongoing and continuous and you have to make people accountable for doing it. How do you maintain focus. So 25 years ago when Interface said, we're going to be a company with zero footprint, we didn't know how to measure it. There were no certifications for it. We weren't exactly sure we were going in the right direction. So I think a big part of my role as CSO is to work with our leadership team and our board of directors to set the most ambitious targets we can, but then to be comfortable with the fact that five years from now, 10 years from now, we might need to increase ambition, but that can't stop us from making progress. Right. You know, we can map out 
the biggest areas where we think we can have impact under the most ambitious mission, and then we have to move. And so I think that is, you know, not a role for someone who likes certainty, right? Because I think, you know, setting a science-based target Uh, which is, you know, a a greenhouse gas emissions target that is aligned with what science says we need to do to keep the planet at a, you know, 1.5 degree temperature increase. Even that in and of itself, there's a bit of mystery. So what you have to do is give your leadership team confidence that, you know, that ambition is the right ambition. Then you need to put enough meat around that bones in terms of a plan of action. And then you have to constantly keep pushing forward movement, right? And I think that the the place where I see a lot of people get stuck. I think there are lots of CSOs who can really talk about the ambition a company needs to have, but are not great at creating the plans. So you've got to mobilize the organization and use all your resources to kind of do both of those things. So that kind of begs the question, how how do you define success and how much of that is driven internally versus externally? I feel like for many years, it was driven internally by Ray and by the work that you were doing and probably by KPIs that everybody was setting. But now you have ESG, right? <laughs> you have net zero commitments, you have all these commitments, and then you have have all the regulations, which are saying what you have to do, which is external. So how do you define success now as the company has been at this for so long? And how much does the external matter versus how much is the internal driving you? That's a great question. I mean, for us, it's still largely internal. I can't in the last 18 years since I've been there, come up with an example of something that Interface did as a result of an external pressure. I think Mm -hmm. we're just too far ahead. We're in the seat where we're actually trying to move our customers and our employees and our supply chain towards where we want to go. And so, you know, how we define success now is to create a positive impact on the planet in four key areas of our business, operations, raw materials, products, and factories. In each one of those areas, we've put an ambitious goal out of the future, defining what we think it means to have a quote, positive impact. And then we've started to work towards implementing that in each part of the business. So carbon is a great example. It's very easy to set a carbon goal because you can measure total carbon footprint of the business across mm-hmm. all scopes, one, two, and three, which we do. And we've set you know goals for 2030 to have our emissions and by 2040 to be carbon negative. So that's pretty easy, right? But nothing externally influenced that. I would argue it's easy because you are actually impact focused, not intention driven. A lot of companies announce intentions as if that's the goal. And that's where I think also the future CSOs have a large responsibility to really deliver on impact and talk about impact in a way that's like, look, we have big ambitions, but we're delivering on them. And at the same time, okay, you you even mentioned like sometimes we miss. I mean, yeah. hey, great. So be transparent about the process, not hiding behind my goal and, oh, I'll shift the graph. I'll shift the chart. I'll do that because yeah. there's too much of that. I totally agree. And I mean, I think as a CSO, you have to stand your ground and not get swept up in that. And you have to be the person that sometimes says to your public relations team and your executive team, we shouldn't be announcing our intention. Let's wait a year Mm. and talk about what we did a year in to that intention. That will be much more powerful for our stakeholders. So I do think this is a role where you have to have kind of some 
someone who's willing to be kind of a little bit of a conscience in that person Mm -hmm. to sort of say when other companies are embracing talking about their ambition or when they're embracing net zero as being enough, you have to be the person in your organization to actually say, uh, that's, that's not my point of view on, you know, where we need to go. There are going to be leaders who absolutely have that exact, you know, mindset and they, they, they say that and they, they execute on it. And then everybody else is kind of like, what's the median and what is everybody else talking about? And how can I, you know, just don't be the, 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 the lagger in the wider community, (laughs) you know, like don't be the slowest of the group. No. And don't stand out too far because that's when you might get up, you know, asked harder questions about where you're going next. And you're like, I don't really know. This comes down to the role of the sustainable executive, I guess, within the organization. It's true, right? I mean, I hate to hear that people do that. And I know a lot of people do that. I know that there are CSOs who are being asked by their leadership team, you know, what they're doing. And the first thing they do is go look at what everyone else is doing. And it's so fundamentally flawed right? Because all of our organizations are different. And so to me, the stepping point is never look at what anyone else is doing, never look external first. It goes back to kind of the three fundamental questions you need to ask if you're in the seat. What is the impact of this business? Like, where are we bad? Where are we harming the environment? What is totally unsustainable? That is fully unique. So if you start by looking at what everybody else is doing, what the hell are you doing? I mean, you're going to adopt a strategy that is completely nothing to do with your business, right? So I think the first question is, what are our impacts? The second question is, what are our biggest opportunities? If you're a company that makes something and you've never focused on waste, you're going to have a massive financial and environmental opportunity associated with reducing waste. And then the third thing is, what is the ambition level of our company? To me, that's where the outside stuff comes in because you can present to your leadership team a spectrum Mm -hmm. and you can say, are we going to be on the low end of just doing the bare minimum in terms of ambition? Are we going to be in the middle or are we going to be a pioneer? And then with that, you've got to advise them by saying at each point in that spectrum, there's an opportunity for us. If we're on the pioneering end, Mm -hmm. there's a massive PR opportunity. There's an opportunity to recruit people that want to do something other than make carpet in our thing. They want to make carpet and save the planet. And let me tell you, those people Mm -hmm. are the really productive people, are the really engaged employees, are the people who are mission driven. So I think you present that spectrum to your team Mm -hmm. and you make a really strong argument for what I think the last 20 years have shown us, which is that the pioneers, the people who go for the brass ring, who go for the really aggressive targets, get further than anybody else. Yeah get a lot of recognition along the way, deliver on innovation that would never be possible Mm. if you're on the low end of just trying to do the bare minimum and get the best people. I view the power of ESG and sustainable reporting as being the internal ability to, you know, create strategy around the business. It's a scorecard. It's a single yeah. tool. It's helping you do the second one, which is identify the opportunities, yep. you know, for, for you to, to, to do more. And I think that we're confusing that with this is what we're doing. Look at how good we are versus 
wow, this is an amazing map for the future. There are still a host of really bad sustainability reports. Um, and I think what it does as a whole is sort of muddy the, what does it take to be a really good company? And so if you were to read our report versus a competitor report, I think the takeaway for customers would be very similar mm -hmm. when Interface has reduced our greenhouse gas emissions on an absolute basis, 95% over the last you know, almost three decades, yeah. our competitors have not done that. And right. so I, I still think that's the place where it's still really hard to tell. What's the future of the CSO? Is this a more strategic? Is this still fuzzy? Um, what are some things that you hope for when it comes to the CSO position as we go from 45 to 92 to hopefully Fortune right. 500? <laughs> You know? Well, I think, you know, the, I think you're right that the first iteration of people, you know, appointing CSOs is very much this old mindset of like, let's get a guy on this, right? And I think that was a recognition by the business that this is important, so it's not bad, right? And, and often, like the first iteration of those people, to their credit, were people, I think, who got appointed, because going back to what I said about two ways to be successful, the first is understanding your business, the second is knowing how things change. People were put in that role who could do both of those things. So long tenured people that, yeah. you know, may not have been sustainability advocates, right. but knew the business really well and knew how to kind of drive change, right? Um, I think though, without the toolkit of knowing how to set a really ambitious target, knowing... Um, what's really going to make a difference, knowing how to get employees on board at all levels, like knowing some of these things that I would think that next generation of CSOs actually know because they've been taught, um, those tools are really important to get you out of the basic like, okay, we have a CSO, let's understand the impact, maybe let's do a little reporting. Like when we yeah. talk about how do we transform the business to be more sustainable and have it deliver to the bottom line, that is, I think, like the era that we're entering. So not doing sustainability programs like off the side over here to show that we're great or to reduce yeah. our impact. We're kind of in that era of CSOs needing to be involved in decisions about how much capital are we going to spend this year to transform the products or the operations or what are the new services we're offering? And I do think that will be a different level of person. Do you think that CSOs will largely come through the business then? Looking at your first generation CSO versus like where the company is in that spectrum. So maybe they have a first generation CSO mm -hmm. um, who is like kind of homegrown and who's come up through the yeah. business and that person is getting ready to retire. That may be an opportunity to take someone from a different organization who's been a CSO and put them in your seat. Yeah. So that idea of, you know, having a CSO who maybe goes to two or three different organizations in their career, I think there's something really interesting there, not just as a CSO myself, well, but as, you know, someone who's actually done it, right? Who's yeah. transformed an organization, who's taken a product line from, um, you know, maybe not being as sustainable to one that's lived through commercializing something like carbon neutral products. I think there's a lot to learn there and share with other organizations. So I could see both, really. If you think about your career going forward, you know, you still have a solid 40 years of work left to do, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> what's the career trajectory for a CSO? I think a lot of people in this role are 
personally connected to the mission of sustainability. So I think the big thing for us is we tend to be curious, passionate people. So what is it that we can do to stay curious and stay passionate? So for me, it's really appealing to think of, uh, I'm in a billion dollar company. It's really yeah. appealing for me to think about being a CSO at a much larger, larger organization because yeah. the impact we could have um, right, and right. how we could scale what I already know yeah. could be really interesting. So that to me personally, um, is a really interesting thing to think about for like a next career step. Final question. Looking back, what would you tell someone who is fresh grad, maybe mid-career about building their career in sustainability if their ambition is to become CSO? Yeah. I mean, I think this biggest distinction of um, make sure that you're developing the skill set to not just talk about sustainability, but really solve those challenges, mm. um, I think is a big, big part of that. So that means maybe being curious about how your company works, digging right. into a level of detail on um, how your organization works so that you can really apply the concepts that you're interested in as a sustainability person in a very direct way. You know, um, we always talk about things like product of service approach. How, how do you stop making and try leasing? Until you understand how we actually make stuff, yeah. um, having this great idea about leasing it or moving away from leasing it doesn't have any resonance with people unless you can bring the two together. I think the second is relationships, really building relationships in your company and your organization. You are going to be an advocate. You're going to be asking people to do things differently, to trust right. you. Right. Um, so really taking time to build those relationships at all levels of your organization with difficult people, with people who have different strengths than you is really, really important. And I think being sensitive to understanding how to change people's minds is really important. When I came into Interface, we had a very mission-driven founder of the business that embraced sustainability even more than we did and was constantly challenging us. Um, yep. Fast forward, you know, almost 15 years later, we brought in a new CEO from the outside who was incredibly skeptical. Mm. And it was at the time that Interface was transitioning from a do-no-harm mentality to a positive business mentality. And that was a new mindset for him. Right, right, right. And so, you know, it took several iterations of pitching him ideas and him saying no, and increasingly more strenuous no's to me for yeah. me to realize um, I'm pitching too much and I'm not listening. Mm. And I need to ask, start asking some questions like, why are you being so difficult? <laughs> what's, uh, which is not exactly how I phrased it, but it was really like, <laughs> what's not resonating for you? Like, right. what's the barrier here? And sometimes with CEOs, I think that's really challenging to make the space for that. And I had to learn, like, don't do that in a meeting with five people, do right, that in a one-on-one right. -on -one and be really prepared to ask, why is this not resonating? What are you really concerned about? What am I not, you know, giving you? Why does this feel so off? Right, right, um, right. And I think that, you know, is not something we're taught. Like, how do you manage a difficult CEO? But realistically, what a lot of CEOs are doing is pushing their leadership teams uh, out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And, you know, asking them to make commitments 
and decisions on behalf of the business that they've never um, been trained to do. So I think there's a level of sensitivity and emotional intelligence you have to have there um, in terms of knowing how to get through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not something I think anyone ever prepares you for. You just suddenly find yourself in it. Yeah. You know, so I think take some time to talk to people who've done this job mm-hmm. and ask questions like, what was your most difficult day? Um, yeah. how, how did you get a really difficult initiative through your CEO and your board of directors? Like, what can I learn from that? Those conversations are really important. And I wish at business conferences, in MBA programs, like we'd spend more time doing that instead of talking about the work. Yeah. Um, right. How do you set a goal? How, like it's the people work behind that, which yeah. is how do you get a leadership team behind this idea of positive business when we can't define it? We don't know what success <laughs> looks like, um, yeah. but we really want to commit to it. That Those are really hard things. 